This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for July 9th, 2023. The title of the message is, The One Thing I Do. Well, we come now to uh, the reading and preaching of God's Word. If you would open your Bibles with me, uh, if you have them to Philippians chapter 3, we continue in our morning series through Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. You can follow along in the worship bulletin or uh, off the slide behind me. Just to give you a little bit of context, last week we looked at uh, verses 7 uh, to 11, and we consider... We considered Paul's words of what it means to gain Christ and how everything else pales in comparison to that. And to be able to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish uh, because Christ is, is so worth the gain. And it is in that context that Paul says uh, that, um, that his desire to gain Christ is... Uh, it means to know him and the power of his resurrection so that he can share in his sufferings and become like him in his death so that by, by all means, by any means possible, he would attain to the resurrection of the dead, to, to be able to experience Jesus in his fullness, uh, not, having, not only having a taste of the resurrection in the present, but having the fullness of the resurrection in the future. And so he's, he sees that resurrection of the dead on, on Judgment Day when Jesus returns as the goal uh, for which he lives, right? And then he now he explains how that goal ought to control and constrain everything else that he does now. And so... Uh, with that, here now, the reading. Oh, let, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we do not presume that as we hear it read and preached that we can uh, comprehend it. Lord, we know that this is a spiritual uh, act of faith to hear your word and to truly understand it by the power of your spirit. So, Lord, would you give us your spirit? Would you, would, your, would you give us your spirit to lead us into all truth as we hear your word read and particularly uh, we hear it preached? Lord, would you be with me, Lord? Give me clarity uh, and power by your spirit so that I might uh, convey this truth, the one thing, uh, Lord, that you desire of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 2. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, uh, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. There have been um, many times uh, in my life where I have felt stagnant in my Christian life, where I feel like I have made no progress. I've actually felt like I've gone backwards. Uh, my, My question to you this morning is, have you ever felt that way? Maybe some of you feel that way today, right now, that you haven't made that much progress Uh, over the years. You don't feel closer to the Lord. You just, you know, he's there, uh, but you don't feel closer to him, uh, that the gospel hasn't uh, seeped into your heart and in your life the way that you thought it would, and it's made little or no difference. Uh, Or maybe you're just in a season where you feel dry, or maybe because of a particular sin, or maybe because you've been distracted, you know, so many shiny things in the world that have uh, vie for your attention, and Jesus is maybe one of the last things that you think of uh, in the list of all your, um, all the things that you need to do. Maybe you, you are not on fire for the Lord like you once were. You don't really pray all that much unless it's before a meal. Uh, reading the Bible is, seems like drudgery. And your desire for God's word isn't all that deep. And if somebody invited you to a Bible study or Sunday school or community group, uh, you think it's, you know, you try to fit it into your busy schedule rather than... Um, building your schedule around that. Or maybe you just don't think it's worth your time. You know, I've been there, done that, I've read the Bible once, that's enough for me, I don't need more. Uh, Or maybe you're an older Christian and you're like, you know what, Uh, I've learned all that I need to learn, I've learned all I can learn, so I don't need to learn anymore. Maybe that's that's the, uh, the spirit in which you are living. And maybe when you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready for church, you aren't all that excited. You know, just something that you, you've gotten into a habit of doing because you've been doing it all your life. Spiritual stagnation and maybe even going backwards in the Christian life can happen for all kinds of reasons. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, Maybe the question you need to ask is, have I lost my first love for Jesus? Have I just become a cultural Christian rather than, uh, rather than a, a Christian that loves Jesus and desires to live for him? Right. So the question I want to ask you this morning and, and, and the struggle that many of us have had or are having is how do you get out of the spiritual rut in your Christian life? How do you snap out of it and push forward in your faith to grow, to to grow deeper and more mature? This morning, Paul gives us uh, his way of breaking out of that spiritual complacency 
and to push forward in the Christian life. How to not grow stagnant in your faith. This morning, Paul teaches us how to overcome that spiritual stagnation by pressing forward toward the singular goal and prize of gaining Christ in your Christian life. If you knew the purpose and prize of who Jesus is, you would do everything to go after him. Right? That's the whole idea of the earlier part of chapter uh, verses 7 to 11, is that, 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 that for Paul uh, to gain Christ, he would, he's willing to lose everything because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. And it is that surpassing worth that drives and compels him to do that, to seek after him as that one thing in his life that he wants to do. And so he's challenging us. He's challenging us to have a a singular passion for Jesus. And that's the way in which we grow out of our stagnation and press forward uh, and upward, if you will, in the Christian life. So how do we do that? How do, we, how do we grow out of this, overcome this stagnation? We do it by first remembering Christ, verse 12, by, for, and by, by forgetting, Christ, before forgetting the past, verse 13, and pressing forward toward the goal of the Christian life, uh, verses uh, 14 uh, and six, 15 and 16. So first, we, over, we can overcome spiritual stagnation by remembering what Christ has already done for us in the gospel, what Christ has already done for us in our salvation. In verses 7 to 11, uh, Paul sees everything in light of the value of who Christ is. And then in verse 12, he shows us how the greater value of gaining Christ impacts his Christian life. And he gives us several truths about why we need to press on in the Christian life in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. First, we can never say that we have arrived in our Christian life. Look at verse 12. He tells us why we can't be complacent, why we can't rest on our laurels. He says this, not that I have already obtained this, right? Obtained this, talking about uh, the fullness of salvation in Christ, to gain Christ and to, to attain towards the resurrection. Or I'm already perfect, right? He's saying that I'm, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. And so I need to, to move forward, to grow, to progress, right? And so Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the most educated uh, apostle in the scriptures, one who was personally called to ministry when he uh, encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, that he of all people could have rested on his laurels and said, you know what, I know everything I need to know, so now all I need to do is preach and teach the gospel to everyone else. But that's not what he does. That's not what he says. He does the exact opposite. Right? The one who is, who was, who is the, the, the foremost of the apostles to the Gentiles. The one who knew his scriptures inside and out. The Hebrew of Hebrews. The, the Pharisee of Pharisees. 
the one who, who tasted the grace of Christ so deeply, he says, I'm not perfect. It's not as if I've obtained everything all at once. I need to grow. He knows that, that he's only scratched the surface of what it means to know Christ in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death to attain towards that resurrection, to gain Christ. This is the mindset of somebody who knows the unfathomable riches, the immeasurable height, width, depth, and length, and breadth of God's love for him and is willing to go after it in order to grow. This is what it means to be Mature. Right? This is why he tells us in verse uh, 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Here's, here's, the, here's the sign, brothers and sisters, friends, this is the sign that you know that you have grown in your Christian maturity. And you know, how, you know what that is? You know that you're not mature. That's the paradox of Christian maturity is the more, you, the more you actually mature, the more immature you really know yourself to be. Another way to think about it is, the more you know Jesus, the more you know that you need to get to know him more. It's like, it's like the tip of the iceberg. You can see it all, but underneath the surface, there's vast more to know. Uh, maybe another way to think about it is the more you know God and how he's revealed himself, the more you know him in his holiness, his glory, his love, his beauty, uh, and how Jesus embodies that in the gospel for you, the more sinful you know yourself to be. You know the more humble you will be, the more uh, unpretentious you will be. Um, you won't speak up uh, thinking, uh, t- speaking like you, you think you know everything, correcting everybody. So when we realize how much more we need to grow, uh, we ought to press on to make him our own, to attain toward to that which we have been saved and this idea that Paul uses to press on, right, as he goes on in, in, in verse uh, 12 here, to press on has the idea of pushing forward as if you were running a race, right? It's that pushing on, pushing forward uh, as, as a runner uh, moves his body forward and, uh, and, tries, and his legs propel him. Paul knows that he has not reached the finish line. And so he knows that he has to to push forward in order to do so. In other words, here's the point. Paul is saying that I am in the middle of the race of faith and I can't stop in the middle of it. And and that's how we ought to think about our Christian lives. This 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 is the pitfall for many, if not all of us. We don't think in terms of running a race to the very end. We think that since we've learned a lot of Christian information 
and cleaned up our lives so it looks good enough to be called Christian uh, from those who, who look at us from the outside, we think that we have arrived. We don't think we need to keep on running the race of faith. We don't have that hunger for God that we once had. We don't struggle against our sins and shortcomings like we once did. We don't pursue Christ and the things of God like we once did. Why? Because we don't think we need to. We think that we have arrived and that we're perfect enough in the Christian life. And so we don't need to press on to make Jesus more and more ours. So the question is, how do we change that mindset? We change it by remembering what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Look at the rest of verse 12. We press on to make Jesus our own, right? To make this our own, to make it our own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, the foundation of of our Christian life and the drive to progress is grounded in Jesus's saving of us. It's grounded in the gospel and in Jesus laying hold of us and saving us. See, here's the symmetrical logic here. The Christian life is to grow in our faith and to make Jesus ours. Because in the gospel, Jesus has already made us his. This is what it means then to be saved from our sins. This is what Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, born of a woman, born of a virgin, in a, in a, city, in a city called Bethlehem, born in a manger, a poor, weak, frail baby, made like us in every way yet without sin. He came to become one of us in order to save us so that we might be his. He came to redeem us from slavery to sin. He came to pay the debt of sin that we owed. He came to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live but couldn't and to die the death we should have died When we were lost and alone, when we strayed away without hope and without God in the world, Jesus came to redeem us from sin and death and to make us his, to adopt us into God's family. And this is how the saving grace of the gospel anchors and drives everything else in our Christian life. That one truth ought to be the the engine that drives us. Pursue the Lord hard. Even our striving, our pressing on in our growth, in our sanctification in the Christian life is because Jesus first saved us and made us his. So what else do we have to to do to make Christ our own, right? So that one thing uh, for which we pursue Christ to make us his, for, to make him ours because he has first made us his, what do we have to do then in order to do, to do that? We overcome the stagnation in that Christian life by forgetting the past. This means not letting anything from the past hinder our gaining and growth in Christ. Look at verse 13. 
right? The, the, the illustration here is that we're, we're running a race, right? In verse 13, he re- reiterates that he's got more to go. Look at what he says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And then he tells us the singular purpose and passion for which he lives out his Christian life. The heart of Paul's life and why he lives the way that he does. And, and, it's, and it's indicative for us. But one thing I do, the one thing that gives me focus, purpose, and passion, this is important because without a single-minded focus and passion, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be like a GPS with no destination, shooting an arrow without a target. We're going to be, maybe another way to think about it is we're going to have the ADHD of the Christian life. We don't grow in the Christian life because we go in every direction but to Jesus. This is the one thing that God tells us over and over again in his word to do. This is what Jesus told the self-righteous rich young ruler uh, when he wouldn't give up everything in order to follow Jesus. He says, one thing you lack, to sell all you have and to follow me, Jesus said. This is what he said uh, to busy Martha, who was bitter towards her sister, who sat at Jesus' feet. Right? One thing is needful, Jesus said to, to Martha, that Mary has chosen the better portion. See, Jesus, she chose Jesus over serving, uh, over um, doing things for Jesus. She'd rather have Jesus. I think that's, that's one of the pitfalls for us, too. We love to do things for Jesus, but we don't necessarily want to be with Jesus. We want to keep him at arm's length by doing all this busy work uh, in the name of serving him, but yet, yet we don't commune with him. We don't talk to him. We don't sit at his feet. We don't want to be with him. We want to be near him, but not with him. This is the psalmist's one desire that we looked at this morning. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The one thing he wants to do is he just wants to be with the Lord. This is the one thing for which God created us. This is the one thing for which we ought to live. But many, so many of us are trying to multitask when God made us to do one thing. So how do we do that? How do we stop from multitasking, going all over the place, and focus our Christian life, simplify it, get to the foundations, to the basics, that one thing that we ought to do by not letting our past weigh us down or hinder our progress? Look at verse 13. But one thing I do, and this here, here's how you, you uh, focus on Christ, by forgetting what lies behind. Right? We, in other words, we can't go forward in the Christian life if we are fixated on the past. What does that mean? It means biblically forgetting the past. Right? Not, not like you know hitting our heads and forgetting things ever happened. It doesn't mean that we forget the past ever um, uh, 
the, the Passover happened. Rather, it points us to the biblical, biblical idea of forgetting or not remembering, right? The same way that God forgets our sins and remembers them no more. We do not let the things of the past, whatever they may be, intrude and affect our present or future. We don't let them, uh, we don't let them uh, drive us, control us. Right? God doesn't count our sins against us anymore if we're in Christ, right? It's as if we've never sinned. And, and, and this is how we forget what lies behind us. We don't, we don't let them affect who we are today or tomorrow. It's already passed. It's already done. This is what we once were, and this is what we are now today. This means not dwelling on our past accomplishments and failures. One writer says this, Don't use past victories as an excuse to live complacently today. Successes can create an unhealthy tendency to cling to the glory days. By constantly reminiscing, some live unprofitably in the present. We also can't dwell on past failures so we don't even try to go forward because we think that we'll you know, we dwell on, on our, our failures and we have no vision of, of what it means to go forward. We can't dwell on our past sins as if God can't forgive us or change us. We can't dwell on our past hurts or traumas. I have a friend who refuses to join a church because he had a bad experience at his previous church. And so he misses out on the joy of committing to a church and a church committing to him through church membership. To, to commit yourself to Jesus also means committing yourself to his body. That there are, there are, there are blessings to be found when you have thrown your lot with God's people to rise and fall and to live with them in the midst of their difficulties, their trials and tribulations. Or another friend who had a bad experience in a small group Bible study, and so he won't go to any other small group Bible studies anymore. Uh, it's been said that, the, that from my friends, my minister friends, ain't no hurt like church hurt. And I know the church has hurt many of you, if not all of you, in one way or another. Uh, even uh, treated people badly, uh, been horrible uh, to others in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for that. But we cannot let those things from our past force us from going forward uh, and, and receive the blessings that God intends for us. The church, is, the church as a whole, we are no less than the individuals that make up the church. If, if we're sinners, imperfect, broken, uh, we hurt people because we've been hurt, uh, that we're hypocrites at, uh, in, in one sense, uh, the church as a whole uh, is not immune to those things. 
The church, you know, just like each and every one of us is flawed. But God's grace is sufficient and powerful enough to change us. If we would acknowledge them by his grace, if we would repent and we would turn, not only as individuals, but as, as churches. And so if, there's, if, if you've been hurt by the church or you've been hurt by someone in church, don't let that hinder you from going to church or being a part of a church or studying the Bible in a smaller group or, or, or Sunday school or having fellowship. Because all of these things that churches offer, that God has created the church to be and to do, is for us to grow in our Christian life. And if we've had a bad experience in, that, in a church and we remove ourselves from it, then we'll be missing out on the progress that God intends for us, even in the midst of flawed churches. Flawed because we're made up of flawed people. But God's grace uh, is a promise that, that people can change, churches can change, and we can grow as a result. So how do we move forward and not dwell on the past? We, we can overcome stagnation not only by remembering Christ and forgetting the past, but we must also press forward toward the goal of the Christian life. Look at what Paul goes on to say, uh, that we have to strain forward to what lies ahead, Paul says. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, See, the picture of straining forward or pressing on is that of a runner, is that of a runner stretching out and leaning forward. It's the strain of a sprinter who pushes out his chest and throws forward his hands and reaches for that finish line. He does everything he can to move forward. He runs, he paces himself, he pushes forward, and he pushes upward toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. Now, let me just say that Paul is not saying that we run to gain the goal of pride, the goal of the Christian life as if we earn it by works. He's not saying we have to run hard as if we can earn of our, our salvation. He's describing how we run because we've already been saved. That's what the language of verse 12 is all about. That we press on to make Jesus our own because Jesus has already saved us and made us his own. And so we run to lay hold of Jesus because he's already laid hold of us. We run not to be saved, but because we've already been saved. Do you see that? That's the logic of grace. We run because we've been saved. We don't save, we don't run in order to be saved. So what does all this mean? It means we must live with a singular purpose and passion in pursuit of Jesus. And so when we don't, uh, maybe part of the reason is that we're, we're so distracted in the Christian life, we, um, we can lose sight of what's in front of us. And, and we can fall into ditches, we can hit walls, we can bump into other people. Uh, the way I think about it is, you know, in the Christian life, uh, just like we're not supposed to text and drive, <laughs> don't get distracted and run the Christian life, run the Christian race. 
Keep your eyes, the writer of Hebrews says, in the midst of all the suffering, all the distractions, all the temptations, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And if you fix your eyes on Jesus, if you fix your head in the direction of pursuing him, the body will follow. That's why we can't turn and look behind us. We have to forget what lies behind us. Because if we turn our heads, our bodies will follow, and we're going to stumble, or we're going to slow down, or we'll fall away. Not, not eternally, but we'll, we'll kind of t- we'll, uh, fall down, and we won't make the progress we need to. We'll get back up, but, uh, we, but I hope you would rather not fall down for a moment, but just keep going. Keep going forward because you're keeping your head forward. You're keeping your eyes forward. It also means asking us ourselves, if the one thing we do is not pursuing Christ, what is the one thing for which we are living our lives? That's, that's my question to you. What is the one thing for which you are living for? Uh, what is the one thing for which uh, you're, you're living You know, are you living for the Lord in pursuit of him or for yourself, for your glory, for your goals, for your prize, uh, prize of whatever you want to be your prize, your idols? What is the goal for which you press on in your life if not for Jesus? Do you put as much effort into your spiritual endeavors as you do your earthly ones? Friends, brothers, and sisters, I say this not to uh, induce any guilt or make you feel bad. I'm just, this is a question for self-reflection. Can I encourage you to press on because you see the worth of gaining Christ as the goal and prize of your life? Do you see him as, as the treasure for which you would give everything for? Because you'll only passionately go after something if you treasure it and see it as something of of value, of worth, or else you wouldn't go after it. And maybe that's the, the point of all of this, is that if you see the worth of Christ and everything that he has done for you, the preciousness of his life, death, and resurrection, the preciousness Uh, for which God gave his one and only begotten son, the infinite value that you have been bought not by uh, blood or gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, then you would go after him. This is the goal that Paul prized, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And it's for that I count everything as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Friends, brothers and sisters, may it be the prize for which we run our Christian race. That everything we do, we do because we want to gain Christ and to know him more and more. Let me close with, uh, with the, uh, the importance of an undistracted Christian life. In 1954, uh, the, there was a race called the, the Race of, of the Century. It, it was called the Miracle Mile. 
It was between two of the best distance runners of their day, Roger Bannister and John Landy. Bannister led for most of the race, and he was favored to win. But Landy caught up. He kicked real hard and caught up in the third lap, right? Because there's four laps around, around the track. They were neck and neck heading into the fourth and final lap. And in the final moments, in the final moments, uh, Landy had the lead. But he got distracted. He was wondering where Bannister was. He couldn't hear him. And so what he did was towards the last turn, he turned his head to see if he could see him. And because he did that, he uh, lost his he lost his momentum. He lost his stride, and Landy kept his head down forward and ran as hard as he could towards that finish line, and he beat him by a hair. Landy lost because he got distracted and turned back while Bannister pressed forward. And this is what the Lord calls us to do that we would have the same singular passion by forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward for what lies ahead, the finish line, the goal, the prize, nothing less than gaining Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. Lord, we, some of us are, are stagnant, some of us uh, have made no progress or, or we've gone backwards in our Christian lives. Lord, would you remind us of the worth of Jesus so that we, you would revive in us that singular passion, that one thing for which we would press on to go after him. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.